Welcome to episode seven of the Electronic Gentleman podcast entitled Finding the Ladder. In this week's episode, Eric and I discuss the ins and outs of advancement at a small company versus a large company and our ideas on what exactly that means. As always, the opinions expressed here are just mine and Eric's. With that being said, we hope you enjoy episode seven of the Electronic Gentleman podcast. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the Electronic Gentleman Podcast. Um, welcome back after the holidays. We missed a week, but we're all back and ready to roll. Everybody seems to be feeling healthy. So we are going to kick off this year's first episode with a topic that I think has been relevant to us on several occasions, and I think it will be of interest in general. So one of the things that several of us had issues with at some of our other jobs is that the path to success at the particular company that we were at seemed to be one track. Um, I don't know if it's that way for every company, and I don't know if that's just a function of the industry that we're in, but it was pretty much a one-size-fits-all mentality. And for us, you know, we are consultants, um, we're graphics consultants or technology consultants or logistics consultants. But as we were to progress in our other company, we found that as you move up the ladder, your emphasis becomes less on producing the work or working with clients at a micro level and becomes more of a sales job. That has always been something that has been a challenge for me as I never considered myself much of a salesman. As we've been at CORE for the last eight years or so, my experience has changed to an extent because out of necessity, when you're a small company, everybody has to do things probably outside of their comfort zone. One of the things I would like to talk through today is, is it necessary to have a single track for every one of your employees to advance. And as a small company, is it sometimes a challenge to be able to tell your employees, here's your end goal, here's where you could expect to be in five years or 10 years. When you're a small company and you're building the path to where the company is gonna go, sometimes that can be a difficult thing to explain to somebody that's just starting out. Eric, did you experience that in any of your prior jobs to the point that you felt like the original job was evolving into something you didn't want to do. Yeah, uh, and you know that ladder that you're talking about. It, you know, if there's somewhere where it's a one size fits all, great ladder for everyone to climb up to the top. Uh, I'd like to know about it. I'd like to know if, what kind of system uh, would make everyone happy. Uh, it certainly didn't make me happy, and um, I did get those promotions. Promotions that I, you know, didn't really start off thinking I would get as that company evolved and, and got larger and became more like a, what probably a lot of people who, who could be listening to this, the type of company they do work at, um, larger consulting financial type firms, uh, just what you think of when you hear business, you know, people in suits and ties and, you know, testifying experts and things like that. But um, that was specifically the this this track is what everybody sh everybody should be on thing got frustrating for me because it just meant more meetings and those revenue targets where you talk about 
becoming say, you know, you become a salesperson at some point. I'm also not a salesperson. So having those revenue targets, all anyone ever did besides the people who were naturally bringing it in that, that sliver who was right for that. Anyone who wasn't right for that, but was still climbing that ladder was just trying to find a way to game that system to put their name on the paper uh, that would give enough credit to justify the, the title you had and the next title you wanted. And so we just, it just turned into everyone knew that it wasn't, you know, that, that, that people are just playing with the rules yeah. uh, to, to get where they're going. Almost like people were, doing those things out of necessity to make sure that from an optics standpoint, it looked like they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But in reality, they still liked their original job. They still would rather be doing what they actually started doing. Right. Well, people want to do what they started off doing. Well, people want to do what they're good at and they want to do what they feel fulfilled at and and would like to move up. But how do you set it up to where someone can move up and not become a manager type or a sales type and, and and have just revenue targets and things like that. So, I mean, I, I would love to know the answer to that. Um, in my experience, when that path was there, uh, the one I was on wasn't what I was looking for. Uh, it just, it just meant more meetings, constant <laughs> meetings and conference calls where you literally just went around the horn geographically Talking about what you had going on, which that sounds useful, but what you had, what you were really doing was justifying, justifying your unproductive time to a single boss who was holding that meeting just to hear those things. And it was a total waste of time uh, that frustrated me enough to where I had to get out of there. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing: I was thinking about this, and there, it is a fair question. If you think about, well, you can't expect people to always stay and continue doing what they're doing and still expect to get pay increases, right? Or there has to be some other way to justify, you know, I mean, the, you, you've you got your, um, when someone's got a path to progress, they might want to know, okay, I'm happy here right now, but how do I do more. And as a small company, that is really a challenge. And I, as, as much as I say, boy, I didn't want to evolve into what they wanted me to become, from a practical standpoint, you do have to evolve some way in order to justify moving forward. So I guess, you know, I have some ideas as to how I think that can happen. But the other thing that I, I have thought about is in a, a traditional company, that makes complete sense. But then I start thinking about our client base and I start thinking about attorneys. And it occurs to me that that seems like a profession where that doesn't really happen um, that way. You don't become where you do less lawyer work as you, uh, maybe you do less grunt work. You don't necessarily do every little bit of research or every brief or everything like that, but you're still doing what you do just at a higher level uh, maybe you are commanding more people underneath you to support you to be able to, again, though, be a lawyer. So that to me was, uh, it seems like a, an obvious thing for us as a vendor to the lawyers to be structured in a similar way. But it seems as if a lot of service firms feel like they have to fit into this traditional model. To some extent, that goes back to companies that do more than one thing, trying to fit everybody into the same pattern. 
Well, here's where I get stuck. So let's say we came up with a path and we gave you titles um, just for the sake of making it easy. We're going to say you're level, you know, you're juniors, level one, level two, level three, level four, and you're moving up and the pay increases. You'd mentioned the pay increases. Well, everyone wants to have pay increases. Everyone wants to, to give them. Uh, well, I guess everyone, we like to give them and, 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 keep, and keep everyone happy and working well for the clients. That only works if that money's there. So what, what, is, what do your customers think about paying more? Because until, unless you can bring that money in, you can't just give everybody more. Mm-hmm. So how do you tell your customer, well, like this person now is a level three, so they cost X much more. Does your market bear that? Ours really doesn't so much. It's really competitive. Yeah. Um, some people can have higher bill rates, and we do have different bill rates, but they're not wildly different. Um, and a lot of times everyone in our business has to discount, uh, to get the larger work. So what does it matter to your customers if everyone in your company has gotten a promotion to level four and now they need more money. So you're asking for more, yeah. now, they might be better. Everyone, everyone gets better every year and more experienced. Uh, but does the market care? Right. I mean, it's not, it, it, this sort of consulting is not a, not a commodity, not yet anyway. Um, I don't. Hopefully, I'll be out of it by the time it is commoditized and <laughs> offshored or something. But uh, how do you handle that? Um, maybe we can get a guest on that can explain that to us because I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think or you that, you have ideas. Well, the the ideas are, and I, I think so. If you take this to um, a simple analogy of a company that makes a product, and one person um, is out there selling the product. Well, there's only so much margin you're going to make on that product from that one person selling it. As the person, though, advances up the corporate ladder, they start having salespeople underneath them. And so and their value becomes that they can um, direct those people and ultimately bring more sales by their leadership than might have been generated by any of those people singularly. Singularly? Yes, something like that. It's um, the singularity. The singularity. So that I see as being, that that's something traditional. And then I'm, I'm thinking in terms of law firms, I think that some of the senior lawyers that obviously have higher bill rates that have been doing this a long time, they are interfacing with clients at a higher level, maybe less hours, maybe not. It may depend on, are they moving up to higher profile cases that justify their bill rate? Or are they in charge of lots of people that are using a lower bill rate, but their leadership is improving the process. I'm asking questions here because I don't really know, but owning a small company. It's- well, they, I, I think, I think lawyers get away with raising their bill rate. Well, big firm lawyers absolutely get much, much higher bill rates as time goes on, goes on. But how could it, someone like, you know, us or any similar business, if if the if the market's not okay with it, get away with that. Well, and, and how is the market? Law, lawyers get lawyers get away with it right now? Not most lawyers, but big firm lawyers do. But how do how do the, how does the market bear that increase? Is it that those attorneys are that much better, or is it that they are? Is there some other variable there that that uh, that we don't know? This is a, this is an episode of questions, not answers. No, th- these are maybe maybe these are the things we're uh, doing wrong for this episode, but. It, it is a challenge. I think... Well, oh, go ahead. <laughs> What's amazing is how many people we could ask that question to and haven't. 
How many, mm-hmm. how many big firm lawyers have we come into contact with every day for 20 years? I've never once asked or thought to ask, how do you get away with uh, four-figure-plus bill rates? Right. Well, um, it has to be demand, right? I mean, I, that's the only thing I can think of. But if you if you, Well, take- but it's not like there's not enough lawyers or, or anything else. I mean, there's enough lawyers for everybody to have one. Are there enough great, um, great lawyers? Maybe. That's the, that's the, that's the ticket. Yeah. I know. I, I don't think so. I don't think there's ever that that many great because if there's that many, then they're all average. So who's better than them? Yeah, exactly. So well, I mean, the yeah. thing that we face, and you know, there's going to come a point where if we want our team to be able to progress in their careers and to be able to advance, make more money, that sort of thing, at some point or another, we're going to cross a threshold where the market won't bear certain things. So what's so so, how do we account for that? Um, Fire the first person we ever hired. <laughs> Wait a minute. Should we get Take him on the that phone? Money. <laughs> <laughs> it's that he's time. He's not going to answer the. He's not going to answer the phone. That's he's true. Been here so long, he's, he's entitled to not answer so, the phone. So what you're saying is people just roll off after a certain period of time. You know, I remember that now. Now that you mention it, I do kind of remember that being sort of the norm. Is uh is someone's going to go off to start their own thing or uh, like at least where we were, uh, you know, people who'd been there a while would leave to start their own thing or get recruited somewhere else or leave the business altogether or retire. Yeah. And in comes the younger, less experienced people uh, who cost less. Well, I think that was a scene. And, you know, and, the, and the bill rates are what they are. Yeah. I think that was a scene from up in the air where Anna Kendrick had to get on there and remotely fire a person that had been there a really long time and the whole justification was, well, there is a lot younger, cheaper people that don't have all of the perks and the benefits and the, you know. And so we're sorry, you're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to let you go. All right. All right. That all makes sense in theory. And that all makes, you know, business book theory. Uh, but it, that's not our reality. No. I, I, I in no way hope any of our people leave. And I bet you a lot of small businesses that have, you know, under a hundred people feel the same way Right. that you don't want to, you know, we don't want, I mean, one of the things that I think has been one of our great successes is the, is the lack of turnover. Yeah. Not having to, to onboard new people to replace old ones and, and deal with all that and lose the clients and, and, and things that, uh, that's been a huge benefit for us. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I mean, it, well, and we're in an in- industry where you can't just have, I mean, even if we could, my point here isn't that we would, but we're we're in an industry where experience matters almost more than anything. And the ability to grow into the position to be able to handle a variety of things that are thrown at you, there's where the value comes in. And that's why um, we have so many people that have been in the business for a long time because because we know that. But you know, that brings us to the question of, as a small business, how do you do that? Do you continue to grow to where, you know, you've got enough people that are bringing in new work, even if not, even if that's not everyone's cup of tea? And I was not a business generator when I started uh, with Core. I was the guy behind the guy. I was the guy that when the work got brought in, I took it over and managed it. I was more of an account manager that focused heavily on production. So yeah, I was... call you double down. I was client-facing, but I was the guy that did the work. 
or if I needed help, I would I would manage the production team. But if I were to walk in uh, and try to start a new company, I would have had no clients. That was just not my yep. thing. But I was, and, and, and at the company I was at before, that is sort of why I was phased out because I was never one to be able to sell. And so, you know, this is a question. I, my assumption is the company either has to grow through volume or people have to redefine their roles to an extent and carve out a niche that makes them useful to the point that the company grows. And I think that this is, this. I, I keep throwing this around, it's, and I'm not saying this like it's some sort of brilliant thing that I come up with. I'm sure it's been said a million times, but the issue of climbing the ladder versus building the ladder. And, you know, as a small business, there really isn't a ladder, or if there is one, it's just, it just kind of stops, you know, midway up in the air because we don't know what it is yet. And especially when you're very small, I know when core first started, there were a handful of us. I was doing things way out of my comfort zone because they needed to be done. And now that's part of my overall scope of things that I do. But is that the answer? Is it people have to broaden um, to things that they may not be comfortable with? Or is there a way of leveraging people that are good at one thing and then other people that are good at another thing? Well, you know, you talk about doing things you're not comfortable with, but but if, if you look above that, you're comfortable with learning new things in general and, try, and trying out new things. You're really good at that. Uh, I, I sort of am sometimes. I do things that I never thought I'd do, a whole bunch of administrative things, uh, just tasks that I, I didn't think I would do that the reason I do them, I think, now is because we had years and, you know, the, where I, I talk about how I was like, I had a fog in front of me as far as um, the company's financials and the details of that. That's where I've talked before about that 35,000 foot view versus getting down to 5,000. I couldn't get down to 5,000 then. So I I stay in that now just because I spent so long frustrated not understanding it until we really figured out how to clear that fog away and get down in there. So I, I'm definitely not an administrative type type person, but I like it just because I feel like I'm accomplishing something. Yeah, um, but there's people who would who would never want to do that. You know, you n- none of you guys want to do the stuff that I'm doing, and I'm cool with that because that's my thing is 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 keeping an eye on that on all those things. Well, here's the thing: it, and it lets and it let and it lets me you know buy a c- bunch of cars on the side and stuff, and you guys don't <laughs> even know about it. That's shit. I don't, well, now it make now that does make me kind of want to do that. I, I'm starting to develop an interest <laughs> in the administrative side. No, but here's the thing. You are really good at that. And when we started out, I would have never thought, I mean, I didn't know you that well, but I wouldn't have thought, hey, Eric is going to be the guy. The thing about it is you say administrative stuff. It ends up being administrative stuff, but that's not what you're great at. What you're great at is the oversight of things that need to be handled administratively. Um, And part of that's your personality of obsessing over the details. And that's awesome because... You know, we've got different personalities at the company. My thing is not details. Uh, you can ask my wife that. Um, it's just I gloss over details because I'm always kind of focused on, you know, I'll, I'll come up with something and think it's a cool idea. But then when it gets into the maintenance of that idea, the day to day to make sure that it actually gets accomplished. Well, you know, that is not my strong suit. <laughs> so but I mean, the, those, you know, both those roles are valuable and. Um, the idea that you're the guy kind of keeping an eye on that stuff, 
that is a huge thing that I, I don't know if you get told that enough, but that is, that is great peace of mind um, to the rest of us. And I think we could all stand to help more in that, but I'm glad that you at least like doing it. Well, when you say the details, I mean, I appreciate that. When you said, but I mean, you say the details, remember, I don't, again, I, I don't look at QuickBooks. I look at summaries of what's in QuickBooks. So that's how, that's how I get through it um, by not having to know, uh, you know, every little thing that goes in and out. It's always the bigger stuff and there's accountants who'll do that for you. And that, that, that was, you know, one of our other shows and it's what, it's what makes it easy for me. But yeah, I mean, it's just a bit, it's, I, I see what you're saying and, and I, but I just, I have a feeling for what's coming in and what's going out. It's the two, it's the Henry Ford barrels of cash. What, you know, what, what money goes in the barrel, money comes out of the barrel. I feel like I have a handle on that. Yeah, that's that, just the uh, right amount of detail, though. I mean, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, yeah. That's not your again. I'm not talking about again. I'm not talking about doing uh, the job of an expert that none of us are qualified to do. But it's having the mindset of monitoring it. Um, I, I'm the kind of person where I'll check something and then several days later, I'll be like, "Well, I probably should check that again." Whereas you kind of have this tendency to to keep an eye on stuff um, at a regular basis. It's a consistency that I just don't have. So yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to know, you want to know a secret that you probably never guess. Mm. How many times do you think I look at the company bank accounts in a day? Mm, once, twice. About as often as I'll look at something like Twitter, uh, uh, probably 20 or 30 times. Wow. Not even kidding. Doesn't change, but it's one of the, you know how you're, you know how you just like your thumb just hits, mm -hmm. so, you know, your email or Twitter or Slack or, you know, whatever that you're just looking at in downtime. I look at the company financials that often, well, every you. single day. <laughs> so well. there's, a, there's an, there's an obsession about it. Um, so if something goes in or out of there that, that changes, I'm, I, I notice it. Well, I don't want to look at it. I always think, oh, I just clicked that again. Like it changed or something. It's Sunday afternoon. It can't change. Well, you but, talk you know. about the details. I mean, that's the thing. Like you, you, you would point, you'll point out every once in a while, hey, that recurring charge, are we still using that service? That's the kind of thing that seems, but because you're monitoring that, you see charges go in. I mean, you're, you may be talking about something that's $20 a month, and but it's important enough to flag and go, yeah, it's only $20 a month, but this is dumb. Why are we still paying for this? That kind of insight into uh, the consistency of the detail is critical. But you know, not not to derail what we're talking about, but what you did when you saw that need is you filled it. Uh, no one said let's let's have a uh, let's have a roundtable discussion and nominate somebody to obsess over the bank account. <laughs> right, and and the, and the thing is, I mean, obviously the bank account has to be somebody who owns a place, but there's a ton of stuff where anyone who works at a small business, ours or, or any other one, could just take it. There's you know, a book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin that I would recommend to anybody. And it's about being, it's not about owning a business, it's about being invaluable at one and how to make yourself invaluable. And I loved that book. We used to give it to people when they first were hired. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how many people actually read it, but you know, reading books like that's not everyone's thing, which is kind of our the theme of this show today, uh, don't make people, don't try to force people to do something that's not in their comfort zone at all, um, because there's probably things that are in their comfort zone that they can gravitate to and be even more valuable to you than if you were to force someone to dial for dockets or whatever, you know, in our company to start looking for, looking for new work. Yeah. And I mean, we are at a size now where we can have specialists that their comfort zone may be smaller than someone else's or just in a different area. 
But I do believe that when you are in a small company that does not have a clearly defined, and, and to, in my opinion, to some extent, to have a ladder, you almost have to have levels. And we don't really have levels. So when you're looking at how do I move up a ladder, you are really having to find the need and fill it and maybe even take it to a level that no one expects. Um, that's To me, that's about the only way I can see climbing any kind of ladder in a small business. It's, it's about growth um, that you're just taking ownership for. And that can be challenging because that's not everybody's forte to just take over something and lead it. And no, I think at core, our no, it isn't. But when it, but 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 when that is when when somebody does do that, it's obvious and it's very impressive. Yes, and I think it 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 is the the practical way to grow at a small company. I think our challenge and will continue to be our challenge will be to, like you say, not make everyone fit into that pattern, but hopefully encourage people to find the pattern that suits them. You know, when I was thinking about you know, coming into this at first, I thought, well, I'm just going to focus on doing the work and I'll take on a higher percentage of the work responsibility so that I can avoid doing the things that I don't like to do. And to some extent that worked, uh, that did work occasionally, but then as my comfort zone broadened out of necessity, because when you're five or six people and one client wants one thing and another client wants another thing, uh, there's no choice but to jump out of your comfort zone. And in time, my comfort zone definitely broadened. I definitely feel like I do things now that I couldn't have done when I first started. So it's finding the balance, expanding your comfort zone, and then just becoming an expert at what you do and trying to build things up that way. I mean, that's that that to me is, that's our model right now. And, you know, maybe that model will evolve and ho hopefully it will and we'll learn more as we go. Yeah, well, I mean, if I, if I could say, you know, this is this is what we want out of people. It would definitely be ask for forgiveness and not permission. Not on something that's like, you know, spending money on something stupid or anything like that. But I'm talking about taking on and you're not even asking for permission. So I, I, I kind of started the wrong with it, but waiting for instructions mm -hmm. versus just going and taking it. I love it when someone just takes on some project that we'd never thought of. And, 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 and works it up and, and goes all the way through with it. And that's, you know, that's one, that's a step above having an idea and just bringing it up, which a lot of times, so that's something else, uh, while I'm thinking about it, just having an idea for something like the company should do and presenting that is usually not like a lot of time. I can't think of any examples of this happening to us, but at the old company, I saw it happen. Um, and just in general, I can, I can imagine it that it happens a lot is, Going up, coming up with some great idea and telling your boss, this is, you know, we should do this thing. We, uh, I wish I had an example, you know, but we should do this big ambitious thing. It's awesome. Isn't it? It'll make all this money. Yeah. Right. And then expecting your boss to deal with that. So you're basically saying, I'm giving you all this work and I'm walking away. Um, proud of myself because I had an idea mm -hmm. really need to go through with that stuff and, and, and handle it yourself if you want if you want to get the ticker tape parade for you after it's all said and done. Yeah. I mean, you may get some initial congratulations as it being a good idea, but bearing in mind that everybody else has their own thing to do and that it 
probably won't get done unless you make it happen. And that, you know, bigger companies might have, you know, departments that can facilitate some of these ideas. But, you know, for us, we're just growing and building the best way that we can. And until there's an idea outside of the box, we're going to keep moving forward within the parameter of things that we're already doing uh, to expand, to be better at what we do. But if there's an idea, you know, I, I agree. We've got, you know, I've been working with some folks lately that, you know, you just get an idea, you run with it. That's one of the most impressive things to me because, you know, it's, it's, it's common knowledge now, but I think the adage that if you're not failing some of the time, you're not doing something right. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's absolutely true. Now, yeah. we've always said that, but I, I finally see that come into practice. I think we've always said that because of, you know, things that you had read and you, you fear of failure is such an inhibitor um, for any business and especially a, a small business because I think it gets you stuck in a rut of doing things only a certain way. Well, a fear of failure as an employee is, is, you know, that can be a crippling fear that you don't want to go to, to your boss. Um, I did, I, you know, I didn't when I had, you know, when I had a job, jobs elsewhere, I, I didn't want to. And I didn't, I didn't realize at the time that any good boss would, you know, would see that trying and failing at something 10 times was a great thing. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because eventually you're gonna you're gonna do something great and you're but you're at least trying to move forward um, with whatever that is. Yeah, I uh, as far as you know the taking thing things that you want to do. I'm looking for an example. Uh, we developed presentation software where I, where I used to work, and no one ever came up to me and asked me for my input on it. But I, in my mind, everybody wanted to give input on it because oh my god this thing is here and uh and we can we can actually have input it's not just like you know microsoft word you have a problem with it it's it is what it is uh and so i just kept going on about that and eventually i got the job as the product manager for that would have never thought about that wouldn't even have put that on my goal list uh because i got it because i kept running with it uh without asking for permission and so did a few other people that work here. Had it at different times too. We have gravitated together, so we end up, you know, we've ended up at core together now. And we, you know, we're so addicted to that, having that control over the software we do our jobs with. We develop our own now, yeah, and sell it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that you know, to summarize, um, small business can be different when you're talking about how do I advance. Um, you're almost creating a path, and sometimes that's um, predicated on being okay with failing. Um, sometimes it is going outside of your comfort zone um, to do something that is not your natural tendency. And then there's always the possibility that the small business model isn't for everyone. Um, sometimes a certain structure and an end goal to be able to see I need to see um, I need to see the bell at the end of the obstacle course to be able to focus and to be able to um, uh, feel fulfilled. And so, you know, I I don't think that I want I don't want to come away from this podcast disparaging anybody that thinks differently. But I do think that is uh, as a small business that is the advancement. That is that is the path is carving your own path and. Um, Build build the obstacle course and put the bell up there. Yeah. 
and built and you're maybe you're building the obstacle course for the team that you're going to have um, that you've assembled. Uh, you're the one that's creating the course and you're going to have people working for you um, to run it. And, you know, that's it's exciting, but it's also daunting. Um, so you know, this episode, I think, has been a little more um, um, batting ideas back and forth as opposed to here's our history of what we did at core. But I, I think it's been interesting and um, certainly um, leads us to believe that we have more to learn on this topic. Yeah, it's a tough question from both sides, from owning the company that, that needs to have this path and ladder to working at the company that needs to have this path and ladder. And, I, and the interesting thing is that it could be made by, by both uh, simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, this has been a good first week back in the new year, and we look forward to some great shows that we have coming up. So we hope you stick with us, and we will see you next week.